Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Career at UGA podcast. In this week's episode, we will be playing a recording of our most recent weekly meeting talk. Now, if you'd like to come to our weekly meeting that happens each Tuesday at 8 o'clock, we'd love to have you. But right now, spots are still limited. So if you want to come, be sure to sign up using the Eventbrite registration link that you can find every Thursday on our Career at UGA website. Now, on to the recording. Happy Cruise Day, everyone. I'm Daniel Mason. Um, and if y'all will please, before we go any further, um, bow your heads and pray with me. Jesus, um, I just pray that tonight, oh God, I pray that tonight we would just be called to your prophetic ministry of embracing the burdens that you put in our hearts. God, I pray that you would just show each and every one of us um, the people and the places and the spaces that are breaking your heart. God, and I pray that you'd break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, I pray that rather from running from that, we would just embrace it, Lord, um, and really grow close to you, grow intimately close to you in the midst of that. Pray in your name. Amen. Okay. Well, happy cruise day again, guys. Welcome to crew if it's your first time. We're so excited that you're here. Um, like I said, I'm Daniel, and tonight, I'm super excited, guys. I'm like geeking out excited. Uh, tonight, we're starting our book series on, get it ready, guys? Everyone excited? Yeah, thanks, Liza. Habakkuk! Habakkuk! Okay, show of hands here. How many of you guys have actually read Habakkuk? Way more than I expected. How many of you have ever actually, like, done a Bible study on Habakkuk? There is two hands in the back. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, How many of y'all have ever heard a talk or a sermon, much less a sermon series, on Habakkuk? Okay, yeah, such a minority in the room. This is awesome. Okay, cool. This is all proving my point. So Habakkuk is in the Old Testament. It's in the Minor Prophets. They're called Minor not because they're not important. It's because uh, they're, just, they're just short. Um, Habakkuk gets this book at the end of the Old Testament. It's right after the book of Nahum, which is the other smallest book. It's, uh, it's one of the three smallest books in the Old Testament. People argue whether it's smaller than Jonah or not because Jonah gets four chapters but technically has fewer words. So there you go, guys. What Bible scholars compete about. Um, this is, this is what theologians waste their time with. Um, but, but guys, so literally this is, this is almost, or debating, depending on who you ask, this is the second smallest book in the Old Testament, and it is by far the least read, in my, in my opinion, in my experience. It's the most neglected book in the entire Bible, and so I'm so happy to open it up. It also just happens to be one of my favorites, one of my absolute favorites. And here's why, guys. It's not just because it's like the most neglected book ever, and it's like I finally get to open it, I'm like, yes. Um, I'm really excited for why it's one of, one of my, really one of my most favorite books in the Bible, and it's this. Uh, Habakkuk is all about embracing the burdens the Lord puts on your heart. If you guys are like those note takers, write this down. This is your first note. You guys ready for this? The theme for the next three weeks, we're going to be, three chapters in Habakkuk, we're going to be going through them the next three nights, the next three cruise days, what this whole book, what this whole thing is all about, it's about embracing 
the burdens God puts on your heart. And you can figure all of that out, all that out, if you actually just read the first sentence in Habakkuk. So guys, again, we're going to be doing a book study, so we're going to actually open up our Bibles a lot tonight. So guys, if you've got a Bible on you, or if you've got the Bible app on your phone, open up to Habakkuk chapter 1. We're starting in verse 1, and we're going to spend a good hot minute in verse 1, the first sentence, because you can actually learn everything you need to know that's about to happen from this one single sentence. Guys, quick note, just side note, one like one, one guy who reads the Bible to, to a, a bunch of other people who read the Bible. Um, if you really pay attention to the first sentence, especially in like letters or like prof- the prophetic books of the Bible or like Paul's letters or any of the apostles' letters in the New Testament, you will normally figure out within the first three sentences what the whole thing's about. We always like intro, oh, Paul, to this, to that, like to this church, da, 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 or like, oh, the prophet so-and-so is saying this, but if you actually pay attention, you will find out what the entire book's about. Case in point, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, if you guys don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen, right? The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. The oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. Do you guys catch it? No? Cool. Perfect. Um, guys, check this out. I'm going to break this down for you guys, but I'm going to break this down a little bit in Hebrew. You guys ready for this? We're going to go on an adventure. We're going to go on a little adventure in Hebrew. Guys, so that word oracle, that first word oracle, it actually, if you guys hear this, especially if you're like me, like I'm a, I'm a sci-fi fantasy I hear the word oracle, and I'm like, ooh, like it's like kind of some sci-fi, weird, we're going to see the future, what's going on? That word in Hebrew actually best translates to the word burden. Burden. It's something heavy, but specifically emotionally or spiritually heavy. It's something that weighs on your heart. It's that struggle that you're aching through. It's that when you see someone who's hurting, who's dying. It's that feeling that you get when you really realize someone's lost, doesn't know the Lord, desperately needs salvation. That's an oracle. That's a burden. That feeling you get when your heart is heavy and grieved and you can't help but weep when you think about what is happening, whether it's injustice or the lost or your own struggles, that burden. That's what it's talking about, that word oracle. So the burden that Habakkuk the prophet saw, I'm going to retranslate that. Some of y'all's versions will say something a little bit closer to this. The oracle, the prophet Habakkuk was shown. That word saw, it's actually passive, it's was shown. All right, guess this. Check this out, guys. The next thing that you hear is the prophet, right? Now we hear that word prophet and a lot of us think, oh, seeing the future. Again, it's like oracles. It's like, ooh, mystic. He's going to have a dream or he's going to see the future or God's going to, no. That word prophet, in the Hebrew, it's kohen. All right, help me out, guys. Say this with me, kohen. Oh, you guys did a good job. That's great. You guys sound like little Hebrew scholars. Praise God. All right, um, kohen. And that word kohen means prophet. But specifically what it refers to is not someone who sees the future. It's not someone who dreams these crazy, trippy dreams. It is specifically someone who speaks with God And then when he waits in the middle of that conversation, actually hears back from him. Here's the catch, guys. Literally, so prophet, what prophecy is, what Kohen is, it is conversation back and forth with God. Where you're not just praying with him, but you're receiving. And you're not just receiving, but you're praying. That's what prophecy is. 
And it's actually, in the New Testament, Jesus says all of his followers, all his disciples would be marked as prophets. He said, the old ones among you will see visions, and the young one amongst, ones, the ones amongst you will dream dreams. He says, you will all be called into the prophetic. So this is actually something that marks Christians, followers of God, the people of God in general, is that you all have access to a relationship with Jesus where you're actually talking and receiving messages. And that, in and of itself, is the core of what we talk about when the Bible talks about Kohen prophecy. It's not this crazy mystic thing. That happens. Uh, that, that happens. Um, but at its core, prophecy is not this crazy mystical open heaven thing. We've got some house church people in here. You guys know what I'm talking about. Um, it's not just this crazy open heaven and I saw visions and there were wheels and eyes going on. Some of you guys have read Ezekiel. It's trippy. Right? It's not just this crazy spiritual high. It's the quiet conversations that go on in your heart between you and God where you speak to him and he speaks back and he speaks to you and you respond. That is the heart of biblical prophecy. And if you have a relationship with God, just like in any relationship, you will have conversations where you talk back and forth. That is the heart of the prophetic. Right, so we have this burden, the prophet, the guy who's talking back and forth with God. Habakkuk saw, okay, here's, this is my last little fun little Hebrew tidbit for everyone. Okay, if you read Hebrew, there are two kinds of, of H-looking letters. The one is hey. Everyone say hey. Hi. Um, oh, some of y'all thought that was funny. Thank you. God bless you. Um, there's hey, and hey is literally like our H. It looks almost just like our H, and it is just like our H. When you see a hey and you're reading Hebrew, you say, huh, huh, you make the huh sound. But there's another one. It looks a lot like it, but it's solid. There's no, like, in-betweens. And it's called chet. Everyone say chet. You guys did it. Great job. Chet. And chet, you make the noise just like it sounds. You make a huh. You got to put some chutzpah in it. You got to, you got to, you know, feel it right? I, I got this question last week. This is my last little fun little tidbit. I got this question from a couple students like two or three weeks ago. I mentioned, hey, we're going to be diving in Habakkuk. Someone was like, do you pronounce it Habakkuk or Habakkuk? And I was like, well, technically, funny story, guys, ancient Hebrew is a dead language, and it didn't have any vowels, so no one actually knows. So the answer is potato, potato. <laughs> You'll be right. But here's, if you really want to sound like, if you want to impress, if you guys have any Jewish friends or people who are going to Shabbat, Shalom, you want to impress them, you want to really make it sound right, don't say Habakkuk, say Habakkuk. So there you go. It's Habakkuk, right? So this is the burden. The prophet Habakkuk was shown by God. Now I want to highlight this last thing. There's a tradition we do in, in, a, in America, and, and in a lot of the West, but especially in America, we have this weird thing that we do, we don't think of as weird because it's normal for us. Uh, how many people here have a name from the Bible? Okay, cool. John, Mark, Mary, Sarah, right? Okay, how many people here ha have a name that's from another language? You should almost all be raising your hands, right? You should almost all be raising your hands. If you have a Bible name, your name is also not in English. Almost none of you in this room actually have a name that means anything literally in your language. That's not normal. Almost every other culture, especially the cultures in the Bible, named people in their own language 
things that actually meant something in their own language. So, right, my name is Daniel. That literally translates in Hebrew to God is my judge, or God is the only one who can judge me. And when my parents, if I was a good, if I was a Hebrew boy being raised in Israel, and someone, and my parents named me Daniel, they would literally be naming me God is his judge. And I would walk around saying, hey, my name is God is my judge. Hey, my name is God is my judge. Hey, nice to meet you. My name is God is my judge, Mason, right? That's, that's how I would introduce myself. We don't think about that. It's, it's not a part of our culture. We take names and, and we imprint them from other languages and we imprint them in America. But that's how they worked things in the ancient world. When you were named something, it meant something literally. And you were named your name because it was supposed to mark your destiny. It was supposed to reflect who you were, who at least someone hoped you would become. And the name Habakkuk literally means the one who embraces. The one who embraces. The word embrace literally means to grab hold and refuse to let go. Even if it hurts, even if it tries to run away from you, it means the one who embraces. So I want to put, can, can you put that ver- chapter 1 verse 1 up, back up on there? I want you guys to read this again so you understand what we're about to dive into the next three weeks. This is the burden placed upon the one who is speaking with God who embraced it, what he was shown by God. Did you guys catch that? This is the burden the one who spoke with God had placed on him and embraced it. That's what we're diving into today. It's what we're diving into tonight. And that's what we're diving into for the next couple weeks. What does it mean to embrace it when God places a burden on your heart? Guys, I'm going to give you a little tidbit for where we're going. By the end of these three weeks, you're going to find out those burdens that God places on your heart, those aching places, those people, those places, those folks, those focuses, those things in your own heart, those struggles, those aches and burdens, those heavy things. They're from God, and they are tied directly to your calling. Your burden, if you embrace it, becomes your holy and anointed calling. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're one sentence into this book, and we got to make it through the whole three chapters. So hold on, guys. We're going to break this down. We're going through chapter one and through the beginning of chapter two. So hold on with me. All right, you guys ready for this? Awesome. Thank you. I love the interaction. God bless y'all, all you guys who are speaking out. I, Never mind. I love it when people come back. So feel free to amen or whatever, yell or boohoo or whatever. Um, okay, cool. You guys ready? We're going to dive in. Verse 2, verse 2 through 4. Oh Lord, this is the first thing Habakkuk cries out. This is his prayer. This is the one praying to God. He says, Oh Lord, how long will I cry for help and you will not hear? Cry to you violence and you won't save. Why do you make me see iniquity, sin, and why do you idly? Look at wrong. Why don't you act? Destruction, violence, they're ever before me. Strife, contention, they are always arising. So the law is paralyzed. Justice never works. The wicked surround the righteous, and justice is all perverted. Justice is all perverted. Habakkuk is crying out to God, this prophet. Uh, So just some historical context. This guy Habakkuk, we only know uh, two things about him. The first is that he was a prophet. The second, his name is Habakkuk. We have no other historical information on him. Sorry, guys. Here's what we do know. 
uh, he was writing this and prophesying this and talking to God through these conversations in about 600 B.C. And what was going on in 600 B.C. was this. The king Josiah, the king of Israel, had just died. Josiah was the greatest king and one of the greatest men in Israel's history. Probably one of, if not the single most holy man in Israel's history. He was known as the king, as the man who would have no idols. He was famous for his religious reforms, revivals that happened during his time. But he died around the age of 30. He died just after he turned 30. And immediately after he died, the people returned to their idols. They returned to the Canaanite gods. And, and if you don't know anything about Canaanite gods, uh, the three most common that they would have been worshiping are Baal, or Baal, uh, Molech, and Asherah. Habakkuk is walking around and he sees the people of God, even when he goes into the temple of God, goes there to worship Jesus. He's trying to worship like we were just doing. He goes into the temple of God and this is what he sees. He sees uh, people worshiping as the, on the mountains and on the hills as he's walking to the temple. He sees people on altars of Baal. And what Baal would do, he was the god of wealth and prosperity. He was the god for all those caught in the rat race for money. If you wanted some cash, you would go to, to Baal. And all you had to do was just cut yourself a few times at his altar. Just cut. And if you cut enough times, you were going to get Baal's attention. So he would walk and he just sees people cutting themselves, bleeding themselves dry just for a quick buck. He goes a little bit further and he sees people worshiping the Molech. Molech worshiped. Molech was the god of power. And he was very simple. He had only one thing he required for sacrifice. Your children. He would see parents digging pits, setting them ablaze, and throwing their young children into them alive so that they could hold on to their power. He'd go further into the temple, and he'd see what we see in, in Kings and in Chronicles was built in the temple during his time after Josiah died. He'd see poles to Asherah. Asherah poles were these wooden figures made to look like very inappropriate body parts. And what you knew if you saw a pole to Asherah was that you could get whatever you wanted lustfully, sensually, at those poles. And he would see people worshiping in that lustful, very disgusting, very gross way publicly when he would walk into the temple to try and pray with God. He's walking around and seeing his people doing this. And he's praying, and he's praying, and he's crying out this prayer that I'm sure you've prayed if you've followed the Lord for any substantial amount of time. How long till you fix this? You guys ever prayed that prayer? I know I have. Here's the crazy thing. He's prophetic, right? He doesn't just pray. God answers. He waits for his answers. Check this out. God answers in verse 5 and 6. Look among the nations. Watch the nations. Be utterly amazed. I'm about to do something in your day. You wouldn't even believe if I told you. Isn't that awesome? This is actually where we get that Ephesians 3.20. You guys ever heard Ephesians 3.20? Yeah. So he who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all you ask or imagine. It sounds like this great verse. And it is. God's going to do more than you imagine when you pray for it. He gets this in, and he hears God say that, and he gets excited, and then he hears what God's actually going to do to answer his prayer. In verse 6, he says, For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. That's another word for the Babylonians. A bitter and quick nation who will march through the breadth of the earth to, sweet, to seize dwellings, not their own. He hears in these next couple of verses, God say, Hey, I'm going to answer your prayers. He's like, Yes! He's like, Yes, I'm going to bring justice. I'm going to actually destroy Israel. He prayed for justice. God answered. 
with beyond what he would have asked or imagined. And it was a little bit too much of an answer to prayer. Be very careful what you pray, young men, young women. Be very careful what you pray. God will answer it. It just might be beyond what you ask or imagine. And that might be great. That also might be hard. He gives this, he gets this prayer, he gets this answer. It's, it's awesome, but it's also really heavy. And Habakkuk could stop right there, right? But he's the one who embraces. So what do we see him do? Go down to verse 12. See what he does. He hears God saying, I'm bringing in this people, they're going to demolish you. It's going to be everything you asked for and a whole lot that you didn't. He answers God with this. He says, okay. Well, God, are you not from everlasting to everlasting? Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. Did you catch that, guys? This response of this embracing prophet. He keeps praying. And he says, you know what, God? I'll accept that answer. But I know you're better. I know you're still good. I know you care more than I do. Catch this. Keep reading, guys. We're at that end of verse 12. We will not die. Lord, you've ordained, you've ordained them as judgment. He doesn't back off. He doesn't say, well, God didn't say that. But he says this. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why would you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he? He keeps going, guys, but let me summarize what he says here and what he's talking about. He tells God, okay, God, this is your answer. I will accept it. I'll embrace it. But I'm going to keep going because I know you. And he says, you're pure. You're holy. You're everlasting to everlasting, and you won't leave things incomplete. You answered my prayer. It wasn't exactly what I wanted. It was beyond what I asked or imagined in the worst and the best way. But I also know this isn't the end. So I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep striving. I'm going to sit in the heavy and the burden. Catch how he finishes this. He keeps going about how he's going to sit in this through these next couple of verses. But see what he says at the beginning of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. See what he says, y'all. He says, So I will take my stand at my watch post. I'll station myself on the tower. I'll look to see what you will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. He brings this before the Lord. He calls him on his character. He quotes scripture to him. And then he says, okay, now I'm going to wait. Did you catch that? He doesn't just pray and walk away. He prays and stays silent and waits for the Lord to move. That verse, guys, if you read it in the Hebrew, like I said, we're going deep into Hebrew here. It actually says this, I will wait for the word you will tell me and how it will correct me. How you will correct me. He doesn't just say, okay, God, I'm going to pray. He doesn't just expect God to move because he's praying. He does. And your prayers do move God's hearts. And he does act in response to them. But he also expects God to change him. He knows God 
is actually who he was calling him out to be. You're purer than me. You love these people a lot more than I do. So you're not going to just bring us justice. You're going to also bring us healing. You're not going to just screw us up. You're going to fix us better than before. And I'm sure I'm wrong about something. So please fix me. Fix me. Correct me. We're going to talk about the fullness of what God responds, but before that, I want you guys to just see where this is heading. I want you to see God's immediate response to him. This is chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. He says, write down this revelation. Make it plain on a tablet that a herald may run with it. That's a very fancy way of saying, make it easy to read so you can remember. He says, write down this revelation. Make it easy to read so you'll remember it. My revelation waits its appointed time. It speaks to its end, and it will not be false. Though it lingers, though it waits, though it delays, though it seems too long, wait for it. Wait for it. It will surely come to pass, and it will not be wrong. It will not fail. God says, hey, son. He doesn't say, why would you keep doing this? He doesn't get angry his boldness. He doesn't get angry when he says, hey, you told me that you were like this. God, so I trust that you're like this. Fix me up. His response isn't anger. It isn't that he's confused. He just looks and he says, great work. Can you wait? It's coming. Your answer, it's better than you imagine. It's not just beyond what you imagine and terrible. It's also better than you imagine. Can you wait? Can you wait? Can you keep embracing Habakkuk, can you keep embracing this prophetic conversation? Can you keep praying? Can you keep holding on to this burden long enough for it to become your calling? And long enough to see me blow your mind with my answer? Can you wait? We love to talk about practical application. So guys, for those of y'all who are note takers, here's the practical application. Some things I want you not to miss. Some things I want you not to miss from the embracing prophet. The first is what I said at the beginning. First is very simple. Guys, if you pursue the Lord for any amount of time, actually, if you're pursuing the Lord and he hasn't given you this yet, I would ask you, I would encourage you, I would admonish you to pray that he would because you will never encounter the fullness of God until he burdens your heart for other people, for other things, for the sin, for the brokenness, for the devastation of this world. He's going to put burdens on your hearts. There's going to be people who you're going to ache to see come to know him. There's going to be people who you're going to ache to see come to know him. There's going to be things in this world, racism, oppression, injustice, death, destruction, sin, that is going to make you ache. And you should ache. Because in that moment, what God is doing, what he's showing you, the burden he's showing you, is what his heart breaks for. If you want to know God, you have to break for what his heart breaks for. It's the first thing to learn from the burdened, embracing prophet. Let God break your heart for what breaks his. Let God break your heart for what breaks his. The second, the second is this, right? The way to embrace that burden, the way to lean in to that calling, is not to run away from it, not to get numb to it, not to be hurt or damaged, but to pray into it, right? It's prophetic. 
It is a prophetic moment when God calls you into it. And you speak and you listen. If you enter into it, guys, with prayer. First and foremost, I'm going to throw this out there. This is a side note, but this is important. Prayer is the most productive thing you can do with your life. I want you guys to hear this. The most productive thing you can do with your time in life is pray. You have a God inside you. You have the Holy Spirit of God Almighty dwelling inside of you, just waiting for you to talk to him, just waiting for you to release him into the world. And just like Habakkuk, all you have to do is enter into that prophetic conversation for him to come, for him to do beyond what you ask or imagine, for him to do those things that you wouldn't believe even if he told you, the terrible, the beautiful, the awesome, and the full. Prayer, entering into that conversation, speaking and listening. Don't forget the listening. The last thing I want you to hear from this, I want you to hear that verse again, that chapter 2, 2 through 3. I want you to hear it and have it emblazoned in your hearts and minds and souls. Because again, this is probably the most neglected book in Scripture, and it's also, if you really want to lean into God, if you really want to know Him, if you really want to see Him move through you, this is one of the most important passages in Scripture you will ever hear, and I mean this. Write down your revelation. Remember your revelation. Remember what God puts on your heart. Make it plain that a herald may run with it. Do not forget it. His revelation waits its appointed time. It speaks to the end, and it will not be false. Though it tarries, though it takes a long time, though it takes too much effort, though it costs you more than you imagined you could ever give, wait for it. It will surely come to pass. It will not prove false. He will not prove false. Can you wait for God to bring the fulfillment of his revelation to you? Can you wait? Um, I remember when we, uh, when I was a student at the University of Georgia, my freshman year, we actually started crew. Was, we restarted crew as a movement. That was kind of fun and weird and cool and hard. Um, and I remember one of the first things we did was start this prayer team. We wanted to start a prayer movement, and we had these uh, students. We started, we used to host it back in my apartment, um, which was a mess. Um, but people would come to my apartment every week, and we would pray together for crew, for the movement, for the campus. And there was this one guy, um, for na- out, we'll call him Buck. Um, Buck, that's actually part of his name, but it's not his name. So Buck would um, come, and every week he would pray, and he would pray, and he would pray that they would, that he and a couple other crew guys would get this house, their sophomore year, that they would get this house on Millage, right beside all of the sorority and fraternity houses, because it had this giant lawn, and it was public, and he wanted after crew to have a space where crew people could gather and hang out and fellowship and come to know the Lord. And he would pray for this every week faithfully. It was beautiful. And it was awesome. But towards the end of the semester, he started to get kind of tired. And uh, basically, to make a very long story short, left the movement. Stopped praying. Um, started to kind of flounder. Had some stuff going on. He left. However, uh, and I graduated. That was my senior year. I graduated. And um, when I came back after graduation, I remember coming back to a cruise day, and afterwards everyone was like, hey, let's go to Buck and the other guy's house, and I was like, yeah, sure, let's, let's go, and I went, and it was the house that he'd prayed for, for all that year. He actually got it, and all the guys that he'd been praying to have it with him had it, and I went out on this lawn, and I literally saw someone have a prayer to receive Christ on the front lawn this night that I just happened to come by, and I was like, holy crap, all of Buck's prayers happened. They were all answered. And I remember looking around and being like, where is Buck? And someone looked at me and said, oh, he's inside alone. 
God answered his prayer. He didn't wait for it. God answered his prayer, but he didn't wait for it. He missed it. One last story for the road, guys. One last story for the road. When I was a uh, sophomore in high school, there was a guy named Brocker. Um, uh, first time I met him, I felt like the Lord put him on my heart. And I felt very heavy for him, so I started to pray for him and try and reach out to him. Brocker was terrified of me, in his own words, was terrified of me. He thought I was weird and creepy and Jesus freaking yada, yada, yada. Um, so for all through high school, we had really, like, we, we were in the same groups, we played the same sports, and he just avoided me like the plague. Because I was weird. I was weird in high school. I'm still weird uh, in a lot of people's opinions. But um, for, for all my years of high school, just avoiding me like the plague, we, I went to UGA, joined a fraternity here. Um, my sophomore year here, uh, Brocker decided to come to UGA. He rushed. He joined my fraternity and then proceeded for all three years to avoid me again like the plague. <laughs> I spent eight years almost praying for this dude crying out to God for him, trying to reach out to him, trying to call him up, trying to meet up with him one-on-one, him avoiding me like the plague. But I just kept feeling burdened on my heart to pray for him. I literally had this dream of me, like, just getting the, this moment. I was up in this attic. It was weird. I was like, that's bizarre. But I was praying over him. And it wasn't until I came back for an alumni weekend, my first year out of college. I was up in New Jersey, and I, I had a free weekend, and they were hosting a bunch of stuff at, U- at UGA. There was a game going on. I came back in town, and I went on my fraternity lawn, and I expected all my old friends to come be the first people to, to you know, greet me or whatever, but instead, I, I walk up on the lawn, and before I can even say anything or do anything, there's a big hug from behind me. I was just like, oh, shoot, who is it? And I look back, and he's like, what's up, Daniel? And I, it was Brocker. And he started asking me all these spiritual questions, and I was like, what happened? And I was just like, holy God, who are you? Um, And uh, he looked me in the eyes and he said, I want to hang out. Can you come over by my house and hang out tonight? And I was like, yeah, sure. Went over to his house. He happened to have an attic room. And he sat down with me and told me about how he had been terrified of me and avoided me like the plague for eight years because the Lord had been convicting him about needing to shift his heart and shift his life. And he said, I was terrified of you and I avoided you like the plague because I knew what God was trying to do through you to me. And I finally, my senior year, really have leaned into it. And I want to say thank you. And he let me lay my hands on him and pray over him in that attic room. Dream becoming reality. Wait for it. The revelation waits its appointed time. It speaks to its end. It will not be false. Though it delays, wait for it. It will surely come to pass, and it will not tarry. Um, I want to leave you guys with one last word. I know I'm going a little bit late, but I want to leave you guys with this one last thing. It's important. Um, My mentor, um, spiritual mentor, the guy who called me to ministry, his name is Savelle Phillips. He's one of the greatest missionaries of uh, the 20th century. Um, He was like my grandpa. Um, The last sermon he ever gave was on this passage. And I don't want to leave without telling you guys some of the wisest words I ever heard from the most godly man I ever knew. He read this passage, Habakkuk 2, 2 through 3, and he shared about his experiences in life and how it had become true for him. And he just simply said this. It was a few months before he passed away. He said, I'm about to die. 
I'm about to die, and I will die with unanswered prayers. But my prayers will never die. They will echo ever in the ears of the Lord until he brings them to completion, and he was talking to a bunch of college students. So I'll say it the way he said it. He said, students, do not forget. Do not forget. People die. Prayers never die. Can you wait for it? Will you pray with me? Jesus, God, I just pray over myself. I pray over these students. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would embrace your burdens. God, that our hearts would break for what breaks yours. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would give us the endurance, the patience to pray with you, to talk with you, to converse with you, to talk and listen, God, and to wait for our revelation, to wait for your revelation for us, God. We know it's worth it, God. Make us believe that more. In your name, amen.